My name is Zion, and this is part of my story. I like to skateboard, snowboard, jump on the trampoline, and play video games. I have this friend, and before I thought he wasn't, he just wasn't a good kid. He's kind of like, he's into the goth sort of thing. Sometimes whenever he like, it was like a dress down day or something, he'd dress how he normally dresses and his like, like all black and stuff and black um, and everything like that. And uh, then people would sometimes make fun of him and stuff. When I asked him about his life, um, I learned that he wasn't just one of those kids that just wasn't paying attention in class and was just doing things that didn't make sense. And that um, he was actually having a hard time. Um, his dad, um, um, he's not really a good guy and um, um, he says bad things and it's just hard for him. And uh, so he's just, He's just trying to do what he can. When he told me about his life, I felt sad for him, and and then I knew that I should help him. I just didn't feel really that weird anymore. It is important to pray for people because it's like it doesn't feel good when you just see people out there that that are having a hard time and you just let it go and like I want to help people I just I don't want to let it go though because letting it go I, I don't want to let things go like that I'd pray about like how I could help him and um, I kept on praying outside for like an hour on the haystack. I just speak out loud and talk to him and um, and it's like the perfect place because I could like um, I can like it's like under the trees in the shade. And then um, you, the, since there's trees over you, you could also tell when the wind's blowing. And then uh, God told me kind of that, kind of in a dream after that time, that I should um, take him to uh, the skate park. And uh, we asked his mom and then, and she said, yeah. Uh, now I I teach him about God sometimes when I skateboard with him, and then we learn how to skateboard together. Moving forward, I hope to keep on doing what I'm doing and helping um, my friend um, learn about God and um, um, and keep on skating together. And um, yeah.
Amen. Uh, what, a, what a great, great story. Um, I love how Zion is living out what we as a church are just trying to be about, right? Changing people's stories, moving towards the broken and the hurting all around us and bringing the life and the love of Christ to them. Um, this is really our heart as a church. Um, in fact, next week we are celebrating the heart, that heartbeat in a very significant way. Next weekend is the one year anniversary of our For the City and Beyond vision, which so many of you are a part of, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you are a part of. It, it, and this is a vision to impact our city and our world with the love of Jesus. And a lot of times people will ask me, hey, what's the latest with For the City and Beyond? Well, next week is my opportunity to answer that and to share that. Um, and I can't wait. God has been doing some wonderful things this first year, and he's really laying a foundation for some amazing things as we look to the future. So don't miss next weekend. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. <clears throat> so when I was in middle school, <clears throat> I was convinced that I wanted to be a weatherman when I grew up. Um, and it wasn't the idea of being on TV, you know, giving weather forecasts. The reason I wanted to be a weatherman was because of this fascination that I had and still have with storms. Now, perhaps it was because I grew up in Kansas and we had lots of tornado warnings and huge thunderstorms. So I've always had this fascination just uh, with watching thunderstorms as they build and as they approach. I remember a uh, a trip from Kansas to Colorado a few years ago, and we were, we were driving back on I-70, and we, I just watched with fascination as we were approaching this huge wall cloud. It was just dark and menacing, and it was awesome to see until we drove into it, until it hit. And then it was just plain scary, right? Um, rain pounding, I couldn't see 10 feet in front of me. You know, the vehicle was shaking and there was this uncertainty of what was coming, right? Is there hail in this? Is there a tornado in this? Are we gonna be okay? So storms are fascinating to watch, but they're no fun to be in. Um, they're, they're, and, and there are lots of things that ha are happening in the midst of a storm, things that are beyond our control, and it can be very unsettling. And this is true not only in terms of literal storms, it's also true of the storms that we face in our lives, the, the relational storm of a marriage that's in conflict, the, 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 or, or a broken engagement, the, the financial storm of debt or, or losing our job, the, the uncertainty storm of I'm graduating in May and I don't know what I'm going to do then, um, the, 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 the health storm of, of a cancer diagnosis or a, a mental breakdown, the unexpected storm of tragedy or, or loss. We never know when one of these storms is going to approach, and we usually have little warning, and then it just hits, and suddenly we feel very out of control. Things are swirling all around us that we have absolutely no control over, and it's very unsettling. Now, when we take a step back and we look at these storms from a biblical perspective, we realize that in, that in storms like these, there are some very significant things that can happen, spiritually speaking depending upon how we respond in the storm. And so we're going to learn today from a passage of scripture in which some followers of Jesus encounter a very dangerous storm. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. We're continuing our journey here through the book of Luke. So let me read this passage. <clears throat> 
One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This is God's word. So during the first several chapters of Luke, Jesus is ministering in Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. And in the heart of this region of Galilee is the Sea of Galilee, which is absolutely beautiful. I have been on the Sea of Galilee. I'm in a boat. I was able to capture some some video during that boat ride. It was one of the highlights of of my life to think that Jesus had been on this same body of water. It was really an amazing experience. So the Sea of Galilee, as you can kind of see there, it's basically a large lake. So it's 12 miles by 6 miles um, today. It was actually much larger back then. And so Jesus and his disciples have been traveling in the north area of Ga- around the Sea of Galilee, right? And one day, Jesus says, hey, let's go over to the other side of the, the, the lake. Maybe it was to get away from the crowds for a bit. Maybe it was just for a change of pace, but they all agreed. So they got into the boat, probably a small fishing boat, and they set sail for the other side. Now, some of them were fishermen, so this really was not a big deal to, to manage. And we're told that while they were making their way across this large lake, the Sea of Galilee, Jesus fell asleep. <clears throat> he was tired. And, and it's no wonder, I mean, they, they traveled everywhere by foot. So can you imagine being a part of a group of people that one day walks to Loveland to minister to people. And then the next day, they walk to Fort Collins to minister to people. And then they walk to Windsor a few days later. No hotels, no restaurants. They had to find and cook their own meals, had to you know, sleep on the hard ground. This was normal life for people back then. I wouldn't last a week, okay. Um, but, but no wonder Jesus was exhausted and tired and we, we see here uh, on vivid display the humanity of, of Jesus. I mean, one of the core truths of the Christian faith is the idea that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He ate, he slept. He got indigestion. He had blisters on his feet. His muscles got tired and sore. He went to the bathroom. Jesus was fully human. He experienced life as we experience it in these physical bodies that feel emotion and that experience fatigue and and hunger and and pain. Okay, so, so as the boat began to gently rock back and forth, Jesus' fatigue got up with him, and he fell asleep. He, he wasn't faking it, you know, keeping one eye open, you know. <laughs> he was really asleep, as we will see. So as they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, a storm came up. Actually, the word, if you look in the text there, the word Luke uses here, it says that a storm came down. 
Now, what, what does that mean? Well, the Sea of Galilee is actually 600 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by tablelands, which rise to these small mountains. And so what often happens there is that cold air will rush down the mountains. It will pick up speed through the ravines and the tablelands, and then it will meet hot air rising from the lake. And the result would get any weather person excited, a quickly developing violent storm. And, and this was very common on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, it is very common. In fact, when I was there, when I traveled there a few years ago, we were in a bus headed to Capernaum, which is just on the north side there, the Sea of Galilee. And, and sure enough, out of the blue, this, we got hit with this major storm. I mean, the rain was just pounding and the wind was you know, beating against the bus. And so we had to actually sit in the bus until the storm blew over. Now, I can't imagine experiencing a storm like that in an open boat, but that's exactly what happened to the disciples in Jesus that day. They set sail in beautiful weather, but very soon they were engulfed in this violent storm. The boat started filling with water and they were in grave danger. Now, there's a very important principle that is highlighted in this passage. Here's the principle. Here's the first principle. Storms happen even when Jesus is with us. Storms happen even when Jesus is with us. Having Jesus does not exempt us from experiencing difficulty. I mean, these guys were in a relationship with Jesus, the Son of God. They were in the same boat as Jesus, the Messiah, and yet they experienced this storm. Having Jesus in our lives does not exempt us from experiencing difficulties. In fact, the only reason these guys were in the boat was because Jesus actually said, let's go to the other side. <laughs> they were obeying Jesus when this storm hit. One of the mistaken ideas that, that we often consciously or subconsciously embrace as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, one of the ideas we subconsciously or consciously embrace is this idea that if I'm following God, if I'm obeying God and I'm walking closely with him, then things in my life are going to go really well, right? Um, that, that my business will succeed and I'll find the perfect spouse and my children will be protected from harm and my health will be great. I mean, isn't that how it works? I mean, isn't that the bargain we made with God? I, I follow you and you bless me, right? That's our deal, <laughs> Uh, no, uh, that was not the deal. You know, often we, we are not consciously aware that we're believing this. We don't realize this is a bargain we made. We're, it's sort of subconscious. We're not, we don't realize it consciously until a storm hits. Tragedy strikes. Difficulties arise. And we instinctively begin asking, why me? Why me? God, I'm following you. I'm trying to do the right thing. Why is this happening to me or my family? Now, now, at some level, it's totally normal to ask that question. The danger occurs when we try to answer that question. Because I mean, that, that, that's a dead end, because we don't know why. What we know is that storms happen. Storms are a reality in our lives. No one is exempt. No one is exempt, no matter how closely they walk with God. No one is exempt. 
And the Bible, I mean, you, the Bible is filled with examples of this. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, when people, you know, buy into this thing that, oh, when you follow God, everything will be blessed, everything will I mean, be, no, no problems, all that. I mean, this is not biblical, right? I mean, you just start in the first pages and you just look through scripture, the number of godly men and women who experience horrible difficulties. I mean, you have Ruth who lost her husband and her sons. You have Joseph being thrown in prison for 11 years for a crime he didn't commit. You have Daniel going into captivity. You have Hosea um, marrying a woman who is unfaithful um, to him. You have Jeremiah's disappointment. I mean, my one-year Bible readings right now are in the book of Job, and, and man, just this guy who's following God, and he lost everything. John the Baptist died in prison. John the disciple was sentenced to exile on the island of Patmos, right? Paul and Silas were thrown in prison. These are the good guys, right? These are the good people, the, the, the good ones, the ones who are following God, the heroes of the faith. I mean, re read Hebrews chapter 11 sometime, the end of that chapter, about what happens to some people who had been following God. They were sawn in two. They were tortured. They were thrown in prison. Nowhere in Scripture do we see evidence of this idea that if you're following God, you're exempt from life's storms. We live in a fallen world where tragedies and difficulties happen to good people and to evil people alike, which means, and this is very important, it means that the presence of storms in our lives says nothing about God's love or lack of love for us. The presence of storms in our lives says nothing about God's love for us or his lack of love for us. Storms happen to everyone even when we're following closely with Jesus, even when he is with us in the boat. Suffering and hardship are difficult, and difficulties that are very much a part of our lives as Christ followers. Now, now I, don't, I don't believe that God directly causes suffering. I don't believe that God sends disease and that he causes bad things to happen. But what he does so powerfully is use these storms as opportunities for us to grow in our relationship with him, as we see in this story. Okay, so the boat is now filling with water. The disciples are trying to maintain control of the vessel, but the wind and the waves, they keep pounding against it. They realize they're in trouble, in big trouble, and Jesus is still sleeping. So they wake him up saying, Master, Master, we're gonna drown. <clears throat> now, it's hard to know whether they woke him thinking he could help them or they just woke him up to let them know that he was going to be dying in just a couple minutes with them. Um, but you can you try to imagine the scene here in your mind, the chaos, the absolute confusion, the terrifying fear as the boat is capsizing, guys are yelling at each other, they're trying to bail water with whatever they can find, all hope seems to be lost. This is a perfect storm that's going to take out all of them. Well, in the midst of all this chaos, we read these words, Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storms subsided and all was calm. See, Jesus stands up in the midst of this chaos. He rebukes the wind and the waves and everything is calm. Immediately, the rain stops. The clouds disappear. The disciples are squinting from the bright sun overhead. The, the boat is gently rocking back and forth 
from the residual waves. In one moment, everything is calm. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I mean, notice it doesn't say Jesus fought against the storm or that he cursed the storm. No, no, no. He just rebuked it as if he actually had authority over the storm, telling it what to do. And the storm immediately subsided. All was calm. Now, this is absolutely amazing. And imagine being in a storm as wind and rain and hail or whatever are pelting your house, and you go out in your backyard. And I'm sure we've done this. We wanted to do this, right, at times. But imagine that. It's pelting your house. You go out in the backyard, and you just tell it to stop. And it does. I mean, we, we can't imagine that kind of power and authority, which is why this passage is so important. It highlights the unique authority of Jesus. So here's another thing that we learn in this passage. Jesus is bigger than our storms. Jesus is bigger than our storms. He is bigger and more powerful than any storm we face. He possesses an authority beyond what we could even imagine, speaking to the wind and the waves, and they obey him. Now, there are, there are a couple of ways, there are, there are a couple of ways that we can respond to this incident. One is skepticism. <clears throat> there, there may be some of us here who are skeptical that this actually happened. You're skeptical that a miracle like this actually took place. And I I, I totally understand that. But I would encourage you to consider carefully the source. Okay, Luke, who wrote this book, was a physician. He was a science guy. Um, He interviewed, he tells us in the first part of the book, he interviewed dozens of eyewitnesses in order to write this account. So he talked with multiple disciples who were actually there. This wasn't just one man going up to some, in some cave and coming down with all these accounts or whatever. This this wasn't just one person claiming to have an encounter with God. There were 12 guys in that boat watching this all happen. I mean, how many of us know that it's really hard to fabricate a story when multiple people are involved, right? It reminds me of the, you know, the three high school students who were late to class and they told the teacher they had a flat tire and she said, okay, get out a piece of paper and write down which tire was flat. Multiple people experienced this storm with Jesus, right? Multiple people saw this happen. So it's hard to fabricate that. Um, so we, we need to be very careful that we don't dismiss the miracles of Jesus simply because we can't fit them into our brain. If God does indeed exist, wouldn't it be reasonable to assume that he can do things that are beyond our comprehension? So if you're skeptical of this, I would encourage you, rather than just dismissing all this stuff, just instinctively dismissing it, I would encourage you to read the book of Luke for yourself this eyewitness account, and ask yourself, is this entire story of this storm as well as the entire story of of Luke, is that something that could be fabricated? Now, in addition to skepticism, there's another response, and that is awe, a response of awe. We read in verse 25 that the disciples were amazed at this. He commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him. This is no ordinary man. Jesus has authority over the wind and the waves. I mean, Paul writes this about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. In fact, let's read this passage out loud together. 
Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. This is the Jesus that was with the disciples in the boat. So it is nothing for this Jesus, we just read about, it's nothing for this Jesus to speak to a hurricane and say, be still, and it stops. Or to say to crashing thunder, be quiet, and it's quiet. Jesus possesses all authority over every power on heaven and earth, visible or invisible. Which again means that Jesus is bigger than any storm you and I face. There is nothing, there is nothing that can happen to you that is somehow beyond Jesus' ability to handle. Nothing. Can you imagine the God of the universe looking down on your situation, whatever it happens to be, looking down on your situation right now, wringing his hands, scratching his head, saying, boy, what am I going to do about this situation? I've never run into into anything like this before. This is beyond me. This is beyond my pay grade, right? I don't know how to handle this. (laughs) Can any of us imagine God saying that? Of course not. Of course not. Why? Because we're talking about the God who created the world, the God who holds all things together. He is not stumped by our difficulties. He's not overwhelmed by our problems. He's not at a loss with our challenges. He is bigger than our storms. He's bigger than our storms. Now, that doesn't mean that he will do exactly what we want him to do in the midst of our storms, you know, bringing back our loved one or getting rid of our boss or taking away the hurt we feel from a failed relationship or a strained marriage or whatever. But, but Jesus is able to help us handle those difficulties, to give us peace in the midst of the storm, to use these things, these difficulties, to use them to form us and to mold us and to grow us in him. I mean, remember, we, we live in a fallen world, right? A fallen world in which God allows these difficulties and tragedies to occur. But his, his agenda, he allows these things, but his agenda goes, goes far beyond ours. I mean, we're thinking next week, he's thinking the next thousand years, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure things are going to look, look a lot different one day when we view all of these things from the perspective of eternity, So what we do know is that this Jesus who lives in us, this Jesus that we worship and that we pray to, this Jesus is bigger than any storm we are facing. We know that. But there is something specific that he's looking for from us. And we see this revealed in this passage. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. Now, how many, of us realize, how many of us realize that when Jesus asks a question, it's usually not rhetorical, okay? Um, there is something really important 
that he's going after when he asks a question. There, there is something important that he wants to highlight. And this question is no exception. Where is your faith? Here's what we learn in this question. In the midst of our storms, Jesus is looking for faith. That's what we learned. In the midst of our storms, Jesus is looking for faith. That's the response he wants from us. He wants us to exercise our faith. He wants us to demonstrate a resolute trust in him. It, it is already, it's already abundantly clear at this point in the book of Luke, and we've been walking through um, the, the first several chapters here for a while. It's, it's already very clear that in the book of Luke, faith is a really big deal to Jesus. Okay, so in chapter 5, he prays the, the faith of the friends of the man who lowered him in, through the roof to be healed by Jesus. Then in chapter 7, <clears throat> Jesus prays the faith of the centurion who said, you don't even need to come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus was amazed at his faith. And then to the sexually immoral woman. That whose life had been touched by Jesus. We looked at this story a couple weeks ago. He told her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. These disciples had seen every one of these incidents. They had repeatedly heard Jesus praise people for their faith in him. And now it was time for their exam, <laughs> right? It was time for their exam. It was time for them to be placed in a situation where faith was not just talked about and it was not just observed in other people. It was actually exercised. <clears throat> it's easy to talk about faith. Right? And it's easy to hear messages about faith and extol how important faith is. I mean, it's easy to do all that stuff, but it is only in the midst of a storm that we begin to understand what faith really looks like. It's in a storm that we understand what faith looks like. It's not just theoretical. Now this is real. This is real. Faith doesn't come naturally or easily. It, it is not, I wish it was, but it's not like an air conditioning, you know, air conditioning that just kind of automatically kicks in when things heat up. Wouldn't that be cool? If faith was just like that, we'd have faith thermostat just automatically kicked in. It's not like that. Faith is not automatic. It is not something that just happens to us. It is something we have to exercise. It's something we have to lay hold of and to keep laying hold of. See, the disciples in the boat, <clears throat> they were not shining examples of faith. In fact, they show, they kind of show us what life looks like when our faith is not being exercised. Fear, panic, stress, trying to manage things beyond our control, probably some anger mixed in there. These things all come quite naturally to us in the midst of, our, of storms in our lives. I mean, we, we don't have to consciously make fear a part of our response. We don't have to. Okay, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to be afraid right now. We, we don't have to do that consciously. It happens quite naturally. All of these things the disciples experience are natural or our natural responses to storms. What is not our natural response is to demonstrate faith, to demonstrate a resolute, unyielding trust in Jesus. This does not come naturally. But, but here's the encouraging thing. It is within the grasp of every one of us. It is within the grasp of every one of us. Why do I say that? Because Jesus is in the boat. Jesus is in the boat. You see, faith is not 
our ability, trying to muster up some courageous response. Right? That's not what faith is. Faith is about our response to having Jesus in the boat. See, the most important aspect of faith is the object of our faith. Jesus, he is in the boat with us. So faith is within the grasp of all of us because he is in the boat. It is within the grasp. Faith is is, is within the grasp of all of us. The question is, how do we lay hold of this faith? How do we lay hold of greater faith in the midst of our storms? And there are two, there are two things that are in seed form in this story that, that actually reveal to us. They're powerful ways, they're powerful ways to grow our faith. The first is this: run to Jesus. <laughs> run to Jesus. Remember, he's in the boat. He is with you. The disciples eventually go to Jesus and they wake him up, which is a really good idea. Um, It's a small but significant seed of genuine faith. The question is, why did they wait so long? (laughs) Right? Why did they wait until they were almost drowning? It seems ridiculous, but we're sort of the same way, aren't we? I mean, we, we, we don't instinctively run to Jesus, the first sign of storm clouds. We think we can manage we can manage this. We got this. So, so we often spend the first part of our storms trying to manage it on our own. And it's only when we think we might drown that we actually ask Jesus for help. So one of the simplest ways to demonstrate faith is to run to Jesus immediately and instinctively. Run to Jesus immediately and instinctively. Cultivate a conversational relationship with him where you're talking with him and you're running to him all the time. It can become as natural to us as breathing. Any need, any difficulty, I'm going to Jesus. After all, he is in the boat, right? He is with us. So that's a simple and yet powerful way to activate our faith. A little illustration of this, maybe. Um, remember those Chinese finger trap things that you get at carnivals or whatever, those things? You stick your fingers in like that, and you try to pull free, and they're trapped. The more you pulled away, the, the tighter the grip became. So, so how did you get free? By doing what was so counterintuitive. By relaxing and moving inward. Ah, right? That was the way to get free. And the same thing is true in our lives in the, midst of our, in the midst of a storm, what comes naturally to us is to pull, right? To, to panic and to, and to try to control. But faith is found in doing the counterintuitive thing. Relax and run to Jesus. Relax and run to Jesus. The other way to activate our faith is to gaze upon Jesus. It's to gaze upon Jesus. Look again at the disciples' response to this miracle. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? (laughs) He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Folks, they had spent tons of time with Jesus. By this point, they had spent tons of time with Jesus, but they didn't know this about him. They didn't know he could do this sort of thing until they saw it. 
See, one of the best ways for our faith to grow, one of the best ways for us to activate our faith in the midst of a storm is to spend time re-getting to know or spend time gazing upon this Jesus who is in our boat. This Jesus who is with us. Do we know what he's really like? I mean, do we know what he's really like? Do we see him for who he really is? Are we gazing upon him? Again, they were, they'd been with him for a long time and they're learning new information about him. So how do, we, how do we gaze upon Jesus? What am I talking about? How do we do that? Well, one, one of the best ways is just spending time in his word, right? For instance, spend time prayerfully reading the passage we're looking at today. Placing yourself as you read it. Don't read it for information. We talked about this last week. Don't read it for information. Read it to see what God is saying. So one of the things you can do there as you're reading it, just place yourself in that boat, and then just kind of see what Jesus did. He is the same Jesus today as back then. Same. <laughs> so, so for instance, you, I mean, you can just spend time in his word, um, spend time just reading his word, just to get a, to, uh, reading about Jesus, to get a fresh look at who Jesus is and what he is capable of doing, what he can do. Sometimes we just have this familiar Jesus, right? He's just kind of familiar. We've heard this, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but we need, sometimes we just need a fresh look. Oh, yeah. Jesus spoke and a storm subsided. That's who Jesus is, right? Sometimes we just need a fresh look at that. And the word is a great place to, to do that, to, to, just to rediscover who Jesus is, to gaze upon him. And, and, and to meditate and think about these passages and, and, and who this Jesus is. And then declare over your life these truths that you're learning about him. So I declare, for instance, it would be like, no matter what's going on, no matter what, what storm I'm in right now, I am declaring that Jesus is bigger than this storm. Because that's what the Bible says. <laughs> that's who Jesus is. He's bigger than this storm. I declare, I am declaring right now that Jesus is faithful. I declare right now that Jesus loves me and he is at work in my life. Declare those truths over your life in the midst of your storms because they're true. They're who Jesus is. Now, another great way to gaze upon Jesus is to spend time listening to or singing worship songs that express praise for who Jesus is. There's, there's this really powerful phrase in the, in, in, in the Psalms. Um, in, in some of the Psalms, it says, magnify the Lord, right? We've heard that, you know, magnify the Lord. In other words, make your vision of him bigger in your heart. See, that, that's a posture of faith. It's to magnify, to make your vision of him bigger in your heart. But here's what we often do in the midst of our storms. We magnify our circumstances, Right? We magnify our circumstances. We keep thinking about them and we keep mulling over them and we keep worrying about them. We're, we're letting this, our, our circumstances become bigger and bigger and bigger in our hearts than letting Jesus become bigger and bigger and bigger in our hearts. Which is why it's so important that we are intentional about gazing upon the glory of Jesus. Declaring his praise magnifying him, declaring who he is. We have to choose this, folks. We have to choose this. 
especially when our circumstances don't give any indication that God actually is in control. He is in control. The wind and the waves, they still know his name. Magnify the Lord, not your circumstances. Gaze upon him. Magnify. Let let Jesus become larger and larger in your hearts. So here's the deal. Storms are going to come. They are. Maybe you're in a storm right now. If not, one probably is headed your way fairly soon, right? If not, there is likely one headed your direction. So we can either dread the reality of storms, hoping they never happen or whatever, and what will happen if we dread the reality of storms, we end up collapsing under the weight of the storm. Or we can see every storm as a strategic spiritual opportunity for our faith in Jesus to grow. An opportunity, it's an opportunity to run to him for help and to gaze upon the wonder of who he is. Jesus, the Lord of the storm, the loving Lord of our lives. He's an amazing Savior. He's an amazing Lord. Let's pray together. So I want us to, just as we spend time in prayer here, I want us to respond. And there are a couple of specific invitations that I want to give here. Here, Here's one invitation. Um, You know, the, the, the most frightening storm of all is being in a storm and not having Jesus in your boat. That's the most frightening storm of all. It's not having Jesus in your boat, not having his presence in your life. And so there may be some of you here and what you need more than anything is to know that Jesus is in your boat, that he is with you. And the way that happens is by placing our trust in him, by receiving him into our lives. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty we deserve to pay. He died in our place. And so the way into a relationship with Jesus is not by trying hard and going to church and being a nice person and all that. No, no, no. The way into a relationship with Jesus is by admitting you need a Savior. You need your sins forgiven. And surrendering to him, receiving him into your life. And there may be some of you here and you've never done that. What an awesome time right now. It would be to do that, to invite Jesus into your life, to to welcome him into your boat so he is with you always. So I want to lead you in a prayer right now where you can open your heart and receive Jesus. So if that's the desire of your heart, would you pray with me in the silence of your heart? Dear God, I acknowledge that you are God. You are holy. You are whole, and I'm not. I've done my own thing. I've lived my life apart from you. My life's parts of my life are kind of a mess. And I realize that my sin, my self-centered life separates me from you, but I don't want to be separated from you. So even though there was nothing I could do to get to you, you came to me. You sent your son, Jesus, to die on a cross. Jesus, you gave your life for me. You paid for my sin 
Even though you didn't, des- you didn't deserve to die, you, you died in my place. Thank you. And I choose right now to place my trust in you. I bring you all of my sin and my self-centeredness and my failures and fears and doubts and questions. I just bring all of that to you and I leave it with you. And in exchange for all of that, I receive your life right now. Come live in me through the presence of your spirit. Wash me clean. Forgive my sin, past, present sins I haven't even committed yet. All of them washed by your blood. And begin changing me from the inside out. So Father, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in this new relationship where you are in the boat with them now. And nothing can separate you from them. Thank you for that. Help them grow in that. And if that's you, if you made that decision today, I encourage you to tell someone before you leave. But for the rest of us here, and maybe those even who just just prayed, let's just respond for a moment and think about the storm that you are in right now. Maybe it's relational, maybe it's financial. Who knows what, maybe it's, it's physical. And here's our opportunity to, first of all, to run to Jesus in our storm. So Jesus, we do that. You know what's going on in people's lives, and we thank you that we can run to you 24-7. I pray this would be as natural to us as breathing. I pray that we would not wait until the boat is almost sinking in our lives to cry to you. This would be instinctive for all of us. As a storm approaches, and that when, when it starts, we would instinctively go to you. And I just pray that for each one of us here, just have this conversational intimacy with you. And then secondly, I want to pray for our gaze of you to be made larger in our hearts. God, in the midst of our storms, we confess our tendency is to focus on our circumstances and to make them larger in our hearts, to magnify our circumstances. But we don't want to do that. We want to magnify you. (laughs) In the midst of whatever storm we're going through, we want to magnify you the amazing Savior and Lord that you are, the Lord who spoke and the, and the storm was stilled. That's the Jesus we want to know more and more. That's the Jesus we want to gaze upon more and more. So help us do that in your word as we're declaring these truths over our lives. Help us do that in worship as we are singing praise for the awesome God that you are. So we love you. We love you. We praise you. Would you help us grow in our faith in the midst of whatever storm we're going through? Help us grow in our faith, God. So thank you for this opportunity now to practically apply this message by singing praise to you. So set us free to do that, God. Set us free to magnify you in our hearts through worship. So why don't we stand, whatever campus you're at here, why don't we stand and uh, let's magnify the Lord. Let's just make him larger in our hearts as we sing his praise.